0: Good morning, my friend. I am so excited to be with you today. It's the first day of a new series that was really Lisa's idea. Lisa Lisa had this wonderful idea. We were talking one time about all the amazing guests that we've been able to have on the podcast. God has been so good to give us just access to these incredible people. You've heard from famous writers and pastors and and. NFL players and fighter pilots and just just the coolest folks out there with great stories who have brought us lots of inspiring content. And Lisa said, "You know what? There's a lot of people that have incredible stories about hope um, who aren't famous people. That they're just everyday folks like you and me that that have great stories. And you should go find some of those folks and get them on the podcast too. And so we we came up with this idea that Lisa called Everyday Hope. And today is the first edition of Everyday Hope. We We've got two guests with us on the show today that have a, a tragic story, their son afflicted by glioblastoma um, and what they did in the aftermath of losing their son and how they found their way back again. And, and it's a raw uh, emotional and honest conversation that we have with Dale and Joe Margaret's. They're incredible folks and we love them very much. And you're going to as well. Um, the salt of the earth, uh, they built the house that we live in with their bare hands and Dale designed and built this house and, and, uh, the place we now call home, uh, came from their labor and their vision. And we're so grateful every day. Uh, I think about Dale Margaret's and Joe Margaret's as I walk around this incredible moon river branch that we live on. And, um, uh, All the things that they went through uh, on this ground that we now call home. And uh, just it's a wonderful conversation. It's going to bring you some inspiration and some everyday hope to help you change your mind and change your life starting today.
1: Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. That place is called Self-Brain Surgery. You can learn it, and it will help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And the good news is, you can start today.
0: please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. Friend, we're back. I'm so excited to be sitting here looking out the window at the river with my favorite person, Lisa Warren's here with us on the podcast. Hi, Lisa. Hey,
1: Lee.
0: You sound so excited to be with me?
1: (laughs) No, I am. No, we've all been sick, and so I'm still struggling with coughing, but I feel a lot better.
0: I know this is not going to be video podcast, but you look beautiful today. Well, thank you. And it's a beautiful day, and I'm even more excited because you had a good idea to have some episodes of the podcast about hope leading up to the release of the book, and I had intended to reach out to all the people who endorsed the book, and we did, and many of them are going to be on the show in these little shorter podcasts called Hope Hope Talks, but you had a good idea. What was your idea?
1: That I think that people that listen to the podcast, yes, you can be inspired by New York Times bestsellers or famous people, and you have a lot of those people that are your endorsers. But what resonates with me as an individual is real people and their real stories. And I thought, what about everyday hope? Like real people and what hope looks like to you every day, because it's a choice. We have a choice to become hopeful and to live it out every day. Does it work every day? No, but we keep trying, right?
0: Yep, that's right. And of all the different kinds of people in the world who need to be hopeful souls, what occupation do you think really would require pretty much the most hope?
1: Well, I thought about that. And living on this beautiful place and looking at our friends that farm the place that we're on and across the way at Phyllis's, it's like, you've got to be a pretty hopeful person. A little bit crazy, too, I might add, but very hopeful to be a farmer. Yeah. Because you're going to take a little seed and you're going to put it in the ground. And then we live in crazy weather, Nebraska, with the wind and, like, violent storms and droughts. And, and, you know, so there's sometimes that that might be just the most horrible idea and everything fails and you don't have a good crop and it looks like everything's going to be doom and gloom. And guess what the farmer does? He does it all again the next year.
0: That's right.
1: So that's a hopeful person to me. And the first person I thought of was Dale Margaret. And Joe, his wife, because they're they're like us. They're an indomitable couple, and they are 100% a team. It is not an individual effort. When he was farming, she was farming. She might not have been on the tractor or the plow or all the farm things that I still don't know anything about, but she was 100% his teammate. That's right. And not only... Do we know them in that realm? We also know them as the people that gifted this beautiful place to us. Mm. And we're, I can't explain it. From the minute we met, it was an instant connection. And we have so much in common, and we have so many things that melded us and made us not just random people that came together for a real estate transaction, But for people now that are family, that care about each other, and you even dedicated the book to them.
0: I did. The new book. Well, you know, Dale and Joe are a couple of pretty accomplished people, and they're busy. They live in Florida. They've got a boat. They're doing all kinds of things. What do you think the odds are that they would be on the podcast with us?
1: I think it would be a stretch, but I think miracles do happen every day.
0: Mm. And Well, I'm very hopeful. Because right here in the living room of Moon River Ranch, <laughs> in the house that they built with their own hands, yeah. we've got Dale and Joe Margaret sitting yeah, here right yeah, here. Yeah. Welcome to the show.
2: We're right. happy to be here.
0: Welcome Very to your to home. Yeah. <laughs> that you built. Yes, we did.
3: We did. It was a. Uh, well, I'll tell you when this all happened, when we moved out this way, I uh, talked to a realtor and he said, or I told him, you know, if you ever have a place to come up for sale along the river, let me know. You know, and years went by, and one day he called and he said, Hey, one time you said, if there's a place up along the river, you know, let, let me know, you know. And I says, I got a place along the river. Are you interested in it? And I says, Well, that's been a while back. Yeah, I could be. And he says, Well, if you think you might be interested, could you look at it, you know, and could you look at it right away? And I said, Well, yeah, I probably can, you know. And he says, and if you come and look at it and you like it, uh, could you make an offer on it right away, you know? And I said, well, <laughs> well, I suppose I could, you know. And then he said, and if you come and look at it and like it and make an offer on it, can you make it non-contingent on any loans? And I says, what the heck is going on here, <laughs> you know? Well, come to find out, the guy that owned, owned, owned this place, kind of owned it, still owed money on it, and he couldn't make a, the last payment, which was just about due. And so that's how we ended up buying this place here wow. Wow. on the river. So, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And wow. it was, uh, there was a little shack over here just uh, west of the shop, uh, worker shack, because the, they used to raise beets up here, and that's all there was here <laughs> at the time, you know. So, wow. So, yeah, we built this all up, and and uh, I'll just kind of quick go back Uh, when we was building this house we lived in a trailer house just on the west side of this house for a year and when we was building this house we was starting to map out the driveway around here and that was that's when I got a call that my mom that's the day she died Mm. but uh, we was marking this out and we go hey remember back Two years after we was married is when I had my skull fractured. And after I was out, they didn't think I was going to live. But after three days, they sat there day and night, the doctors and the family asking, you know, what's your name, you know, how old are you, what, you know, all this kind of stuff, where do you live? The third day when I came back, I said North Platte, Nebraska. We knew where North Platte was, but that was about it. But you didn't live there. No, we didn't <laughs> live here. We lived at Lexington, and no- nobody thought we'd ever lo- leave Lexington, you know. Hey, remember that day when you said I woke up and we're going to live here?
0: And here we are.
2: And here you are. And here you are. And here, are. And here, and here we are. are. Right.
0: Now, just and to th- clarify one thing, w- when we say... We built the house. We usually mean we hired a builder and they built the house. You built this house. We had with help, but yeah,
3: we was right in here. This was, we started building steel frame homes. This is the second one. We built one downtown North Platte and this is the second one. So when we were setting up here, setting up the red iron, you know, we was here, bolting it to the concrete and all of that. So, That's amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: yeah. Did I hang the sheetrock? No. (laughs) I Sure, but you
0: designed it, you built it, you put your labor and love into it. Joe, what was it like for you when Dale got injured and and cracked his skull and was in the ICU? What was that like for you as, as his wife to see him hurt like that?
2: Back then, Lee, we were so young, and our son, Mick, was two, and I didn't realize the seriousness of it until I went out to the waiting room and saw the whole family sitting there. And then I then I realized, hey, life could be very short. And there, it turned out to be a long life together. And we are going to be celebrating 57 years of marriage this oh, year. Oh, my
0: word. Yes. Congratulations. Congratulations. That's,
2: that's a long time.
0: That is. A long time <laughs> of
2: living together and experiencing life. And when we come here and visit you... We are so honored to know that, that you have this place and you're happy here. Yeah. And that makes us happy. And we, we have no regrets of selling this because God ordained this place. He oh. ordained it for us at one time. And then we waited five years for you two to come along. And it happened. And it was supposed to happen. You had, a
0: sense, you had a sense that it wasn't time to sell it right right well uh,
3: we after our youngest son got brain cancer and and died from glioblastoma uh that's when we decided hey you know let's let's just rent everything out and move away and then we wanted to sell it at that time mm-hmm. and we waited what five and a half <clears throat> years lifted part of the time and part of the time it wasn't But you know, we all have a calling, but our assignments change, and this Mm -hmm. was this is uh, we look back and we see this was your house all the time.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It It took you a while to get here, (laughs) it did,
0: (laughs) it (laughs) took us a long time. But that one
3: day that this happened, it wasn't even listed. This house, uh, and the, the gal that had it listed previously. She called up one day and said, "Hey, I got somebody that would like to look at the house. Can we show it?" And I, she says, and she knew it wasn't listed. I said, "Well, sure. I'll turn the water on and unlock the door because we was in Florida at the time. You know, nobody had ever made an offer on it or anything." And then later, not that much later, she called again and says, "Hey, I got somebody else that would like to look at it. It's, it's all right if I show it to, I, I show them too." Well, sure. Yeah. And not too long after that, she called and said, I got a third party that wanted to see it. Wow. (laughs) You know, after five and a half years and then three at the same time, and I remember talking to you after you'd looked at it, and you come up here and saw the sign on the door that says, as for me and my house, Mm -hmm. we will serve the Lord. Mm -hmm. And then you walked in and saw that pencil drawing of Jesus over there that that little gal drew. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think you told me at the time you told Lisa, you know, this might be for us.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And then you walked out back along the river, Mr. Gideon, and said, <laughs> yeah, God, I if I could just see an eagle fly by here, you know, this might be for us.
0: I don't think and, I've told that story before, except to also the day we looked at this property, um, Lisa and I were talking with amy the broker and lisa and amy were in the kitchen and i just decided to wander into the backyard and i was looking up and down the river and and i and i literally said it to god i've never done that before i said i don't know i i married a city girl i don't know about moving out to here i don't know how this north flat thing is going to work out but we feel called here and i said i need some kind of sign lord like if this is our place like send a bald eagle down the river. I was just joking, like almost joking with myself because I'm not charismatic enough to think that God does that sort of thing. And I turned around and I kid you not, there was a bald eagle flying about eye level straight up the river and he flew right over the top of my head and over the top of this house. And I was like, holy smokes, we're supposed to buy this house. (laughs) Like, At this point, I'm committed. You know, I come in and told you what happened, mm-hmm. and Lisa I think said, "Are you sure it wasn't a buzzard?" <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> so I think Amy said that. And I was like, "No, it's a bald eagle. Have white head and a white tail." So that, but so I, one part of your story that that you mentioned in passing that it, it needs to be unpacked because it, it, it's 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 really a big part of the reason that we're all sitting here right now is when we first came to look at North Platte, there was a a long conversation we had with the hospital administrators about the vision that they had for needing a neurosurgeon here in this community because all the the history of this hospital has been when people needed a brain surgeon or a complex spine surgeon they got flown out of here Um, and we thought that was an interesting concept but we didn't have a sense of how much need there would be in a community of this size. And so we walked into the hospital the first day and the volunteer was standing there and and I, we didn't know how to get to the administration. And I, and I said, um, I'm Dr. Warren, a neurosurgeon. We're here to have an interview. And she said, my child was flown out of here because they needed a neurosurgeon. The very first person we met. And then one of the administrators told us about one of the nurse managers who had had a, a child that had a brain tumor that mm-hmm. was flown out of here. And then we looked at the house and we found out y'all had had a son that had glioblastoma. So by the end of that day, and then the broker, Amy, her daughter had had a shunt and some brain surgery had been flown out of this hospital. So by the end of the first day, we met four people in North Platte who had needed a neurosurgeon. And we were like, we're being called here. Mm-hmm. And then that happened with the house and the land. And we just, it was just supposed to happen. It was. Because <coughs> so, so, BJ
3: was flown out of here too that, that evening.
0: Your son BJ developed a brain tumor and had to have brain surgery, and you went through the the journey that I describe in my last book. I've seen the interview. Like talk about that as parents, and we we share another thing besides loving this land and loving this house as we're four people who have lost a child. And so talk about that time in your lives and how it relates to hope. And
2: I had never heard the term glioblastoma until it was told to us by our doctor in Kearney, Nebraska. And when I heard that term and that it was diagnosed of my own son, I just didn't feel that I could live any longer without mm-hmm. without some hope. And we had a lot of hope through his diagnosis and treatments, and yet we lost him. And he died with dignity, but we know that with with all the cancer research that they still have a long way to go when it comes to glioblastoma brain tumors. Is that right, doctor? That's right. Mm-hmm. That's
0: right. So before BJ died, your hope was that he wouldn't die.
2: I had all kinds of hope. And at the time, the they, surgeon told us in California that, it, yeah, we had to fly him to California to have that surgery done. They told us that they had, we're sure that they had 99.9% removal of that tumor. And when they told us that, I was elated. And that's, that's putting it simply. I was so thrilled, thinking we had the rest of our, our lives with BJ. And yet... Six months later, it had grown back to the size plus the size that mm. it had been, so it was it was a hopeless case in that at that time. Mm. The hope we have is seeing him again
0: mm-hmm. that's right
2: and it's our loss, but his gain. he would have never wanted that he He loved his family, he left a beautiful wife and two children, and us and his. Brother and sister, and we to this day mourn his death, but we also know he's dancing with Jesus, mm-hmm. and we can't wait to get there.
0: That's right. Now, Joe, something you said was his loss and your uh, your loss and his gain. Was there a time when that was when those were just words to you, or did they always feel true to you?
2: I have to think that through every day. Hope is a word that continues to keep you going.
0: That's right. Lisa, how about you after we lost Mitch? Was that ever, and your mom, Like, was that ever just a Christian platitude? Was there a time when that didn't feel true to you?
1: It did. I went through my own dark night of the soul and it was a horrible time. But you can either continue down that path of hopelessness or you can turn and say, no, I choose hope. Because there is no life in hopelessness. Even if you're alive, there is no life. But having hope, even when it's hard, even when you know that there's not a good outcome, that's your only choice. I mean, for me, that is my only choice.
3: I think we all have hope. Some, there's different levels of hope. Uh, we have, and we use the term hope in Jesus, which to me is a guarantee if you're a Christian. It's not a hope, it's an assurance, you know. Uh, my hope is built on nothing. Well, somebody ought to write a song like that. <laughs> yeah. you know? But it's, a, it's an assurance, you know and you could say blessed assurance Jesus Yeah. somebody needs to write some songs <laughs> on this that's stuff. Right. so that is one end of it At the other end is clear down here it's still a little hope but we used to buy once in a while um, lottery tickets for Christmas to put in the stockings oh I hope I win but you we I guess we had a little bit of hope because we'd look sometimes to see if the numbers matched but that's you know, we have a ray of hope. We have hope and pray. We have uh, uh, deferred hope, which gets to hopelessness in some cases. Mm-hmm. But there's all kinds of hope out there. But I think everybody has hope. We have people coming across the border now that they hope to get in America and start a new life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have people coming across that are on the terrorist watchlets that hope to get in here kill people blow up people but and that's not a good hope but i think everybody has some sort of hope in them you you couldn't exist (laughs) if you didn't have hope and that's right when bj was in such bad shape we did we had the pastors come up and anoint him and pastor and and the elders anoint him with oil and pray over him we had hope all the time and it clear through this when we took him to to San Francisco, like Joe said, that, that at the time they told us that was the first time we had to go there because he had this, whatever they did, that he injected in him somehow or he took a pill or something, and they described it as it would show up like a uh, black light on the tumor, and they could cut around there. And they mm. did, like Joe said, they said, we feel we got a hundred percent of this But we can only call it 99%. We had real hope. But it didn't, and it came clear down to the end when, oh, what, last week or so of BJ's life, our, our worship pastor said, can I come out and play my guitar and sing to BJ? At that time, he couldn't talk anymore, but you could see the... Hope and him, I guess, I don't know what you call it, but he was playing, and you could see B.J. wanting to lift his hand, Mm -hmm. but he couldn't, Uh, so I grabbed it and held it up high for him, Wow! Then a few days later, the pastor come out, he called Pastor Dan and said, could Sue and I come out and see B.J. pray with him, pray for him, sure you can, what time will you be out? Oh about eleven. And then shortly later the hospice nurse called and said, I gotta make the rounds. Be alright if I come out and see BJ. What yeah, what time? Mm-hmm. Round eleven. And they both showed up about eleven. And BJ was near the end, very near the end. And and Joe said at the time, Oh Lord, please. Don't take him on Halloween, such a stupid holiday. Mm. Had hope. Ten minutes later, he was gone. Mm. So some of the time our hope (coughs) didn't work out, but you still have hope. And it was, you asked Joe about, you know, struggling with this every day. And yeah, you do see that, you know, at the time, it made me so mad, like <laughs> in that movie Steel Magnolias, where the <laughs> yeah. I just want to hit somebody, and I did, I hit the chairs, I hit everything, but you see later that, you know, we know where he is, without a doubt,
0: That's right. so That's
3: right. there's, there's the, our hope is built on nothing less mm-hmm. than Jesus' blood, blood and righteousness.
0: Yeah. So. Right. Paul said, "If if it's only for in this life that we have hope, then we are above all people most to be pitied." Yes. And I think that gets to what you're talking about. Is we all say we hope for things, and often that just means we wish for things that we just we're just crossing our fingers and counting our lucky stars and hoping that things go the way we want them to. And I think the the tenure how long ago was it that BJ passed? It'd be nine years this fall. Okay. So Mitch died a year before that, to twenty thirteen. Yes. And for us the the decade long graduate school of suffering that we've been in, as I call it, has taught me the difference between that that wishful hope that the circumstances go the way you want them to, and the the true real hope that the things that we believe God has promised us are actually true. and there's this there's this verse, it's um Romans four eighteen I believe. I'll look it up and make sure it's in the show notes correctly. but story about Paul's referencing a story about Abraham. When God promised them that they were going to have a child and that the child would become the father of all the nations and the Messiah would come to the child and all that. But there was a problem that Abraham and Sarah were 99 years old. And those kind of people don't have babies, right? It's, it's impossible. So there, here's a promise that God made that's not possible. And Paul says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. So even when the situation seemed impossible, he just believed in hope. He believed that God was big enough to do the things that he said he did. And I think that's the difference between faith and hope. If, if people ask me sometimes, what's the definition of faith? And I said, it's the belief that God can do the things that he says he can do. And hope is the the belief that he will do those things for you when you need him to. That, that's how I see it. And so I I think... The, the tears we're all shedding here uh, relate to the dual nature of the fact that the the prayers we prayed weren't answered in the way that we wanted them to be but we really believe it's true that we get to see them again.
2: Mm-hmm. I'd like to bring up your story again on Abraham and his son Isaac <clears throat> and I I have a story similar to that we had read the story in our devotions that morning about Abraham and Isaac, and when he was taken up to offer him as a sacrifice, and what happened to Isaac, God provided a lamb, or a ram, was it a ram, Ram. for him to take the place of Isaac, slaying Isaac. And this was at the time that B.J. had told us he wanted to go into the Air Force, and I did not want my son to go into the Air Force at all. i That's just the mama I am, and I did not want him to do that. But we had had that devotion that morning, so I had this long <clears throat> walk and wrestle with God. And we were in Arizona at the time, walking down this ravine, and here I see this bramble of bushes and thinking, Oh God, you will supply for me, won't you, if I let go of BJ and let him go in oh. my heart. I lifted my hands to God and said, here's my BJ. Mm. And he took him and he, he made it through eight years of the Air Force and, and a happy marriage. And he took him again for me, from me, but he's in a better place now than air force ever could have app- supplied for him That's right. so i love that story and thank you for bringing that
0: up beautiful story yeah. yes. when we talked earlier in the in the setup when lisa was talking about why she invited you onto the show and it was about farming <laughs> and you know we watch and I, I take care of lots of these farmers now and, and i hear them especially the, the dry ground farmers that don't have the wells and pivots and and they say you know we're going to do all this work we really need god to give us some rain and god to give us some favor and so what is it that makes a person believe that they can plant those seeds in the ground and make a living off of them like what what drives a person to hang it out on the line like that for their family like what's the first thought when you decide i'm going to be a farmer
3: well i you know it generally works you can plant 32 34,000 <clears> seeds per acre in irrigated ground and you you get a good crop. You hope when you put that in there, put them those little seeds in the ground, you've got a 100 dollars an acre in seed and you put in uh, insect pesticides, fertilizer and everything. You got a lot in dollars in that before you ever see them come up out of the ground. That's right. But you have that hope cuz you know it just generally works. This one year, we did all of that, put it all in there, and, uh, you know, we had a beautiful crop. It was, and one evening, late evening, a storm came through, and it was a storm that in some people's houses out there, it took the windows out on the north side of the house, took the paint off of the walls inside the house. There was drifts of hail in couches oh, no inside word. the house. We had a friend there that he took pictures of it, and this was in a low area where it kind of washed in the hail, but the hail was eight foot deep three days after the storm.
0: Wow. Oh, my goodness.
3: <laughs> I know right outside of our house, they on a barbed wire fence outside south of Sutherland, there was a bird there that was still clinched to the wires, hanging upside down with no feathers, you know. And it, it just put all the grass in dormancy. It just froze it down. We had nothing left. This was the first year that we got B.J. tried to start it in farming. And he had the farthest south pivot out there. But it took everything except to the fence where B.J.'s was, and his was fine. <laughs> I don't know, and I told everybody in the family. I says, "I don't care if you live to be five hundred years old, you will never see a storm like that." But we planted a cover crop in there to protect the ground that year, and then we uh, we had that hope, you know. And we went ahead and did the same thing next year. Planted it all, you know. We and we had a beautiful crop until that storm came through again. Same thing, except it took it all. BJ's too. Mm. Mm. But like you said, you got to be a little crazy to farm. <laughs> you don't have to be crazy to be a farmer, but it helps. But it helps. <laughs> yeah, but the next year oh. we go ahead and, you know, then she we raise the crop. But two years in a row, you see a storm like that that just takes everything that bad. Wow. is
0: yeah, it's, it's it's like those locusts in Joel oh, that ate yeah. the whole the thing. Yeah, well, you said something that was that, that reminded me. You haven't read the new book. I haven't shared the new book with you, have I? No. Okay, it's coming soon. It's dedicated to y'all. I talk about this idea that hope is a verb. It, it's not a passive thing. Like you have to you have to take action in order to rejuvenate hope when you're in the darkness. And one of the things you said was. You decide to farm because it usually works. You've got a track record of thousands of years of humans planting seeds in the ground, and the magic of the dirt that God made produces a crop that you can sell and, and live off of. And I realize from looking at our life and, and the life of lots of other patients that that there's there's two components to hope. If you want to if you want to teach somebody how to become a hopeful person, teach them these two things. And the first one is memory if you remember that this isn't the first time you've been in a hard thing it's not the first time somebody's encountered this it's not the first time somebody's planted seeds in the ground god's done it before and then you move you do something right you don't just sit around and wait to check the lottery ticket like you, you get after it <laughs> and that's why i always say on the podcast every time let's get after it it's because you got to take some kind of action what was our old pastor in alabama used to say that um, Emotion is motion. Emotion follows motion. Like, like you feel better when you do something. And so I think that's, I think that's it. Like, like we don't just sit around and hope that we feel better. We take some sort of action. You go and wind the clock or field the, farm the field and do the thing. And then God produces, he rewards that movement with action, with, with success, usually. Well,
1: we have a friend that recently lost their little boy um, during a heart transplant. Really horrible, tragic, seemingly very useless death of a precious little boy. And um, Kristen was telling me she tried to contact her on Mother's Day and couldn't get a hold of her, Couldn't, wouldn't answer, you know. And she said... But that next day she got up and she made it through another day and sometimes that's all you can do is just make it through the next day and there are those people that are in that beginning (coughs) part of, of the massive thing that happens the trauma, the death the lost job the divorce, whatever the massive thing that's happening to you and the next day you made it through another day and sometimes that's the kernel of hope that you need to hang on to that grows into another day and another day and another day. But the thing that with hope, (coughs) the thing with hope is it's not just for you. It's for everybody around you. And it is very contagious. When they see you go through a hard thing, they see how you handled BJ's death, your family witnessed it, and that you were strong and you stayed a close team, that gave them hope. That's right. You might not have even during that time realized it, but they needed you to keep going so they could keep going. That's right. And the It's okay. Sorry. No, it's okay. The people around you I know for us, like seeing other people that could remain hopeful gave us something to hang on to. And, but it's, yes, I thought of, of you both about farming, but really if you look at farming, it's, it can correlate to everything that everybody goes through. Every occupation has hard things. Right. Every life has hard things. Every relationship has hard things, and yet we just keep doing it. You That's just right. don't give up.
0: That's right, friend. If you're listening out there and you're hurting, you're going through something hard. There's a verse, and I'll have to I'll have to look up the reference because it's blinking on me right now. But the psalmist said, "Those who plant in times of sorrow will reap a harvest of joy." Mm. And what that means is that when you're hurting, you still keep moving, and you still keep obeying, and you still keep hoping, and you still keep doing the things that you need to do. And someday down the road, all of a sudden, you realize that you made it through that hard time, and if you hadn't kept going, you wouldn't be able to do what you need to do now. And for us, a good example of that was our, we had a private practice, and... I wasn't an employee of the hospital, like I only got paid if I was working, and we had ten employees, and we had bills to pay and kids in school and After a few weeks after Mitch died, we came to the reality that we had to go back to work like like we were going to lose our business if we didn't go back to work and There were months of planting and sorrow planting seeds and sorrow doing that work because we had to not because we were ready, <clears throat> we had to. But then a couple of years later, it dawned on us, the Lord was so faithful. We never missed payroll. We never had to close our practice. We never had to let an employee go. We, th- those seeds that we planted produced a crop of, of, you know, God being faithful, and we were able to maintain our life in spite of thinking that we had lost it. And so it turns out that God does these <clears throat> He's always doing these dual things. He's always taking us through these really hard times and he's always turning us into what Isaiah called that refined product that comes out of the furnace of suffering. And I don't know if you've seen it yet, but I dedicated the book to you and I said, Dale and Joe Margaret were friends who became family in the furnace of suffering. That's who you are to us.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. We feel like
3: we're really part of your family. You You are. are.
2: And coming to your home is just a home away from home with family.
0: And you yes. built it. You know we're all We the love both are. of you
2: very much. And we love you, too. And yes, we've lost our, our sons that we love dearly. But look how they've multiplied. Your family has multiplied since Mitch's death, and, and we have, too. And we're grateful for every single person that God has graced us with. Amen. You, too, are two of them.
0: So, Joe, I have a question for you, a final question for the podcast. Was it as scary to be on the podcast as you thought it was going to be?
2: I guess not. You made me feel very comfortable. You did,
0: right? (laughs) Lisa, this was a great idea. And Dale and Joe, it's such an honor to be sitting here in your house that you built Mm -hmm. and you sold to us Mm -hmm. and to be talking about the things that really matter. And I think there's a pretty good chance that BJ and Mitch are looking down as part of that great cloud Mm -hmm. of witnesses and the... And they're glad that we're together. I love it.
3: And we do too. Yeah. We know they're there. Yep. Yep. We have no idea what it's like.
0: I can only... Somebody ought to write a song like that. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. I have to say that we've been talking about my book, and I just want to put a plug out there for your book, Dale. Dale has has written a book. He gave me a copy of it, and it's called Everything I Learned About Farming. And... um, it's blank. <laughs> <laughs> it has no pages. It's it's a journal. It has
1: pages, but no words. No
0: words. And I, I called Dale and I said, it took me three days to read your book. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you was pretty
3: smart, but, you know, some... Dirty old hairy-legged farmers around That's here right. in just a
0: couple minutes. That's it right. took you days. That's
3: right. <laughs> now well. you
2: know exactly what Dale knows.
3: <laughs> okay, <I do.
0: laughs> Dale and Joe came down to Bonita Springs when I spoke at the First Presbyterian Church in February of last year. And y'all are coming again in, in November. We're going to be back, uh, so friends in Florida will be looking forward to seeing mm-hmm. you again down there. And um, Thank you. Harvey's crying at the window. He's sad, too, but I hope.
3: And we sure want you when you're down there to come up and see us. Yes, we're going to. we will. They're as going. long
0: as
1: the the snow apocalypse or the ice apocalypse that happened in San Diego Yeah, Antonio that's, that's the last right. Time. Last
0: time we had the crazy storm. Well, thank you for your time. We yes. love you very much, and just wanted to take a chance to share your story with the listeners out there, and and um, we're just very grateful for you. We love mm-hmm. you. We love, we love you, you too.
2: Thanks for having
0: us. Thank that you. That was a great talk with two of our very favorite people. We are so grateful that God brought the Margarets into our lives, um, not only because they built this incredible place that we now get to live in and call our own, but because we became friends and uh, I dedicated the new book uh, to them. And I said they were friends who became family in the furnace of suffering. They've been through it. Uh, they lost a son to... The Ravages of Glioblastoma, and they're two of the most incredible, faithful, hopeful people. And that's what we want to do with Everyday Hope. We want to bring you conversations with folks who have been in it, like you probably are or have been, um, and hopefully won't be, but we know the massive thing is always out there. Um, we just want to bring some conversations with what 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 do normal people, like all of us, do when the lights go out in our world? How do we find our way again? And that's what Everyday Hope's about. Dale and Joe Margaret's uh, so gracious to spend their time with us here while they had a few days off uh, on vacation. And um, I hope it was inspiring to you. It certainly was to me. And uh, listen, friend, whatever you're going through, don't forget that there is a plan. There's a plan that can help you change your mind and change your life. And hope is the first dose. God bless you, my friend. We'll talk to you soon.